That's the sound of the men working on the chain gang. That's the sound of the men working on the chain gang. All day long they're saying, Your internet radio dial is in the perfect position, and Race to the Bottom is on the air. Time to sit back and enjoy some refreshing Winslow tea. Try it hot, lukewarm, or over ice. Have it with milk and sugar, or a lemon wedge, or oh natural. Mm-mm-mm. Now that's Winslow tea. A New York City tradition since 1872. Ask for it by name at the tea house or your local greengrocer. Because that's how you know it's Winslow. Listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this is Race to the Bottom. Bay, bay. That's brand Nubian. Don't let it go to your head. Have that song in my head? And I'll tell you why. Because I got some thoughts on the show, and I'm just going to get right into it. So, it's about a little under two years that I've been doing this thing, and so let, let, let's try to put this into context. This is my outlet, you know, and, and, and I'd be lying if I said that I didn't want a lot of people to listen to this and, and to have a lot of interactions with listeners and, and have it be a fun thing that keeps growing. Um, but rewind to October when 
the wife and I went to Maine for a week. We were gone uh, effectively for two Saturdays. And I wanted to be able to relax and focus on the vacation. So I decided to do the mashups, part two and three. Remember? And uh, my opening monologue is sponsored by Winslow Tea, because that's how you know it's Winslow. That tastes really good. Please hashtag your tea drinking experiences with hashtag how you know and steep into the conversation. So I did the mashups, which were fun. But, you know, they weren't as interactive. It's just an hour of handcrafted sound and clips and songs that I put together. Two hours. But, you know, no new new thoughts. No new content. It's already been heard. So I think um, people didn't tune in as, as much as they might have. Didn't have that all current feeling. Charles Kuralt. And so they do a thing each month where they put like the top shows. They send it to to us hosts. We get to see how we're doing relative to the other shows on the station. And Race to the Bottom usually does pretty well. We're near you know near the top. From the bottom to the top. Now we're here. And I looked after October and we, we had plummeted to like, we, we, we basically didn't register. We, we were on the chart, but we might as well not have been on the chart. Let's say that. And it was a bit demoralizing. I, I guess I feel competitive or felt competitive about the show. So I said to myself, I said, John... And I said, what? I said, John, you need to really go for it in November. Since I'm not doing the show live live, a good way to that I've found to get people to tune in is to do interviews and do special shows. So I said, let's do a special show every, every day, every, uh, every Saturday for the month of November. And I poured it on. I came up with ideas and really went for it and then I looked at the end of November and uh, I was expecting to be on top of the whole whole dang shebang and I wasn't we weren't we were a bit better but I, I don't know I guess uh, some of the other shows on the station are really pouring on the gas too which is great. And then on the heels of, of that kind of disappointing news. Mm. Double slurp. This might be a quadruple slurp monologue here. On the heels of that news, last Saturday, the show, My Brilliant Friends, with... Jonathan Scales and Seth Kaufman again going out all out I was going to go all out I said that's not enough I'm going to go all out in December too show that this isn't a flash in the pan the show uh, on Saturday for 
you know, a lot of you tuned in. And there's some technical difficulties, and it was uh, silence. It was dead air for the first half half hour. And I freaked out and was, was calling and trying to get in touch with the station manager. And, um, you know, we finally got it back on and did a repeat on Sunday to... For, for the folks who didn't get to hear the whole thing Saturday morning but I was uh, I was in a state all Saturday really got to me and I wondered why and by dinner time I was starting to realize that this experience was triggering for me and I know triggers and things being triggering has kind of taken on a kind of ridiculous aspect from people overusing it or making fun of it. Are you triggered? But, uh, um, you know, it reminded me of of my music career, where I put everything into my music career for about a decade. And, uh, you know, people liked it, but not enough people liked it to... For it to go viral or whatever. For for me to be able to support myself and keep doing music. It just kind of hovered along. It's like a little bit of a thing. No matter what I did. I mean, I sacrificed everything. Worked at a, a pizza cabin for seven years. And put any hopes of getting a quote-unquote real job, teaching or whatever, put that on hold. And just waited for that phone call, for that shot of good news. They want you to come on this show or so-and-so wants you to tour with them, right? Or, or, uh, just got a call there's a booking agent that wants to work with you and that never happened and um i got to the point with music where i i gave away all my instruments and i it's like an uh adaptation and then one day i said f fish I vow, I vow so much as not to set a goddamn toe in that ocean. That's how much F fish, right? John LaRoche, he's done with fish. Not the band. He was, he was obsessed with tropical fish. That's how I felt with music. I felt bitter. And I didn't touch an, an instrument for five, six years, basically. Moved to New York. Was gonna cook and do comedy. Try to get Race to the Bottom back on the air in New York City. But I felt like a failure. And so on Saturday, a lot of those feelings came back. And I found myself wondering why? Why am I doing this to myself? What do I what do I want out of this show? And I'm still trying to work that out. But 
you know, we've got, I've got the rest of the kind of shit, the shows scheduled out for the year. Do the um, holiday spectacular next week. Got got that all planned out. Then going to do the top ten, top ten moments from Race to the Bottom this past year. And uh, Tom Demena is going to co-host that one. But then in the new year, I, I was thinking I was just I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit the show. But some friends and family kind of talked me down from the ledge on that one. And I'm going to, in January, I'm going to try to find a, a new new gear with this thing. One thing that I've been thinking about doing for a long time, and I, I'm going to do it in January. I'm going to stop trying to promote the show. I, it's, you know, like I said, it's been about two years in and I don't, you know, every week I make a, some kind of collage or something and put it up on Facebook and Instagram and stuff and tag people and, and try to tell people to come listen to the show. And I'm, I'm tired of that. It makes me feel gross and sweaty and and stupid. (laughs) And, um, so I'm just going to let people know, however I can, that the show is every Saturday at 10 here on Radio Free Brooklyn for the foreseeable future and tune in. And the, and the, the replays, the, the archive, the show goes up on Wednesday in the archive. And any, any um, incoming traffic will just have to be from people telling each other about the show. Word of mouth. Uh, that was more of a gulp. The gulp war. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop promoting. And so, you know, if you if you love the show or like the show or like me, you can you can tell somebody about it. Each one teach one. But I'm not going to be doing it anymore. I'm going to just... And and then I'm going to just let myself get as weird as as I can. Um, and, and just try to find something new, you know, on the show. I don't... A founding kind of principle, and I talked about it on the first one of these I did at Radio Free Brooklyn, is, is risk. The key word is risk. If I'm not risking anything, if I'm not pushing out and finding new territory, it's it's not worth doing to me. So I want to just keep finding weird stuff, and it's it's I think it's as hard it's hard to be as weird on the pre-records as it is in the studio live, and and hopefully you know with the vaccine and everything. Hopefully sometime in 2021 we'll get back in the studio and and get some of that groove going. The show's become more kind of confessional and more of a podcast in a lot of ways, which has been cool to figure that out. And I might want to like push into that a little bit more. I want to just kind of talk from the heart. But, you know, another interesting kind of challenge for me I guess growing up, you know, you become more mature and you have more boundaries. So that means that there's 
a growing kind of list of things that I don't really feel uh, comfortable or that it's right for me to talk about. I can't really talk about my school because uh, of privacy issues and stuff. Um, I've got ton, tons of family stuff, but I don't really, you know, feel like it would be okay to to talk about that kind of stuff on the show. <laughs> I don't want to like, uh, you know, I, I mention my wife a lot, but I'm not going to get too into detail. I mean, we're good anyway, but you know, it's like, not going to talk about like what we had a disagreement about and hash that out for you. You know, so it's like, and with politics, you know, it's, I'm, I'm glad that hopefully knock on wood that, uh, we get omelet bar out of there and, and we return to some sort of like normalcy. And I know that, you know, everything we've got to keep the pressure on Biden and stuff and not everything he's going to do is going to be great. We've got to pay attention, but I don't know how drawn I feel towards politics. So it's just like, you know, what is that? what's what's left and that's what i'm that's what i'm searching for and striving for in 2021 is is to find out what are the what are the uncharted territories that i can discover like a like magellan up in here right but you know i'd i'd rather i'd rather have like this show be not go on autopilot it goes back to the risk thing you know I'd rather have these kind of crises every once in a while to kind of keep the show pushing on it's like I've noticed like struggling with mental health stuff through my life that like depression is you know it sucks but you, you're not going to you're not going to find something new usually through depression. Anxiety, however, when you're having like major anxiety, uh, when you're having a major stretch of anxiety, panic attacks and stuff, and when your whole world is turned upside down, I always try to remember in those little segments of my life that that's usually when something, a new chapter is, is born. When you, because you're, you're just not comfortable in your own skin and you got to change something. So I feel like that's kind of where Race to the Bottom is. And I'm going to figure it out. And if you have thoughts, hit me up. Race to the B at Gmail. Text me. Hit me up. But yeah, I'm not going to promote the show in, in, in 2021. It's it's like too I'm it's it's too weird to be the person doing all the show and the only person promoting it. It's just gonna be here, and I'm gonna keep doing it and figuring it out, and not worrying about anything else. <sighs> Number four. Thank you to Winslow T for sponsoring that little confessional monologue. But what I do know is that I have some kind of a backlog of things that I'd like to 
tell you about and recommend to you on a segment of the show that I like to call Recommended. It's a recommendation. 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 So this one I watched a, a little while ago. It's been out for a little while, but this movie feels good, man is fascinating and if you can get your hands on this it's a documentary you know that pepe the frog it's a green frog that uh the maga people embraced well that frog didn't start out as a symbol of hate it started out just as this um creation of of this guy who was trying to articulate his his feelings of kind of estrangement and just being a weirdo and it was funny and quirky and then somehow it was embraced by these online hate nerds as Mark Marin calls them and made into a meme on like 4chan and stuff and then it it became it got embraced by the by these trolls and these these guys who like sit alone in their basement and play video games and and go on the internet all day. At first kind of embraced Donald Trump as a joke, but then they realized that he kind of, he was the enemy of their enemies because they couldn't stand the normies and the way things were because they resented where they were in life and the rules of the game. So they thought that this disruptor was great and they supported omelet bar and and posted all these pepe the frog memes and stuff and man this documentary as far as just some an interesting slant on how to look at the past four years is like the the most fascinating thing i've seen and i really uh recommend you check it out it was on independent lens on pbs so you could try to find it that way Another super weird, amazing show that I just finished watching. It was too weird for, uh, too cringy for, for my wife. That's that's one thing that I could talk about, the difference between my wife and I. She doesn't like things that are awkward or cringy. She gets embarrassed for the people on screen. So like reality stuff where it's, you know, like Borat or Nathan Fielder or this John Wilson thing. She she can't, or Curb Your Enthusiasm, even though that's not real. You know, if things get awkward, she she can't watch it. And for some reason, that's like my, my go-to, all that kind of, I guess people call it cringe, but I don't, I don't know. It doesn't make me cringe. It makes me fascinated for like the boundaries of, of the facades that we have in life and the masks we wear and how how you can kind of push against that stuff but this guy john wilson he's like a he's a freak he, he uh he's a freak and he in the best sense of the word and he videotapes he lives in new york city and he videotapes everything and has all these archives of all these crazy things that he sees while walking around the city and the show how to he he does these like uh kind of absurdist things like like how to uh 
how to scaffold. He does a whole episode on scaffolding around the city. But then it, he um, uses that kind of artifice to kind of dig deeper into his personal relationships and stuff. And I don't want to spoil it for those who who, who watch it, but it um, Emily Nussbaum, the, the TV critic for The New Yorker, talked about how this show is like the best dialogue so far of a show with with uh covid and with the pandemic it doesn't start out that way but it it gets that way also i guess i'll say that and it's on hbo and i super recommend it and then the other thing that i recommend is um and i recommend it with some reservations it's pretty uh pretty intense but i just finished uh, Reynaldo Arena's book Before Night Falls and, and then we watched the movie with Javier Bardem and Reynaldo Arena uh, is a Cuban guy who grew up in like Batista, Cuba and then saw the revolution happen and then was part of the revolution but he was a writer as well and he was gay and then slowly uh, or not slowly Rather quickly, the um, the revolution kind of turned on him and his homosexuality and his kind of nonconformist nature as a as a writer and an artist. And he eventually, well, he was thrown into prison, but then he eventually fled to Miami and then New York and lived in New York and then ended up. Uh, becoming a victim of the the AIDS crisis and dying. But the book is intense. There's a lot of sex. So if you don't like extended descriptions of sexual activity, maybe it's not for you. But the part that I found that I just kept thinking about is that, you know, I'm a a leftist. I'm 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 on the left. And I've always kind of had a soft spot for... Cuba in a way and uh, you know I read this thing on Che which I found fascinating and but I know that it's it's complicated and there's some and I knew that it was complicated and there's some negative aspects to the revolution and and kind of the dictatorship that followed obviously massive negative aspects of being in a dictatorship but I went to Cuba and uh Never know if I'm allowed to say that, but I, when I was in Mexico, I, w- I went to Cuba in like 2001 or two, and it was fascinating. And I saw great things, and I saw really insane things, like that kind of flew in the face of what you would expect. Like there's definitely poverty and wealth on the island, which you wouldn't think would be the case in a communist country and i ended up talking to this this guy that the, there was like secret police and they would keep people away from you they would make sure that the citizens weren't talking to the tourists too much it is like a literal kind of police state but i ended up talking to this guy one night out by the malecon the kind of seawall there and he told me about his life story and 
I don't know how much of this was 100% true, but he was got into smuggling drugs and then he got caught and then they de- um, deported him. The U.S. deported him back to Cuba and they put him into a prison and all this stuff. But, you know, you c- in Cuba you can't, the government kind of decides where you live. You can't decide that you want to move somewhere government decides what job you're going to have you know all this stuff like we would hate it you know but then there's the health care and the literacy but the literacy is all in service of the state and there's a massive control of what you can read and what gets printed so anyway i just find myself thinking about this and then you got the cubans in south florida who are not the greatest group when taken as a whole very reactionary and and, uh, Trumpist so I just keep I've been thinking about Cuba and the United States and I find that stuff really interesting and I would love to read some kind of dispassionate author who could just kind of really analyze oh and then lest I forget the whole reason why it became such a police state is is partly or to a large part because the United States was constantly working to undermine the revolution and to kill Castro and to overthrow the government like it did everywhere else and and so you know Castro's ability to thwart that when he's 90 miles away from the US when like you know countries all over the world were getting toppled by the CIA is you know, commendable in in a way too. So I'd like to learn more about that. But I recommend Before Night Falls if you want to think about that kind of stuff. So let's clear the air with some uh, some tunes. It's a end of the year and everybody's doing their top ten list. And Spotify also puts out their year wrapped where they put your they bundle up like your top artists that you've listened to and people have been posting their stuff and man some some of my friends I'd rather not know what they're listening to there's some very questionable things on people's playlist but that's my opinion and I'm glad that they get to listen to you know it's a free country unlike Cuba right get to listen to whatever you want to but I'm glad that I don't have to listen to some of these playlists in my life with that said, let me tell you what I would like you to listen to. So we watched Stand By Me. My wife had never seen it. We watched a little while ago. And I did a whole freestyle show that became a soundtrack show, and I played a ton of the Stand By Me soundtrack. But there's a song in the movie that was not on the soundtrack that I had that I really liked. It's by the Fleetwoods, and it's called Come To Me Softly. And we'll hear Kurt Vile, who um, I kind of go in and out of, of loving what he did. I loved his album Smoke Ring for my Halo. And then and then stuff got not the best, but he, he put out this EP. And I really like it. And it's a, a lot of kind of John Prine stuff, who I don't really know, but I know a lot of people really like him. And I think this... For the 
the title track, which we'll listen to, Speed of the Sound of Loneliness, I think is a John Prine song, and it sounds great. And then I was um, poking around on Spotify, and I don't know this band, uh, Unknown Mortal Orchestra, but this song, So Good at Being in Trouble, came on, and I love the progression and the melody of this. And then we'll do a little political checkup. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. This is Race to the Bottom. Wrapped there running 
Well, I got a heart that burns with the fever And I got a worried and a jealous mind How can a love that'll last forever Get left so far behind
cold weather is now upon us. Is your car prepared? Hi, I'm Johnny from Johnny's Automotive. At Johnny's, we worry about things and check them for you so you don't have to worry about them and check them. What about your wiper blades? Can they stand up to an ice storm? How's your heater doing? Have you checked it recently? What about your brakes? At Johnny's, we make sure that your car is ready to do the job and fight hard against Jack Frost and his wintry mix of friends. Come on down to the corner of Crisco Road and Popular Creek. At Johnny's, we do it right and then check it. That's Johnny's way. See you soon. Like clockwork. So it's going to be interesting as we we uh, hopefully shift the reins of power. And then like, you know, right when when uh, Biden gets sworn in and hopefully uh, Georgia goes well and we get the Senate right right then at that moment, that's when it's uh, we can be start being a uh, contrarian again. Right. Pushing back against these uh, centrists, but <laughs> I do have to uh, do a little preemptive pushback and uh, with the next segment of the show called What in the Crap? What in the Crap? What in the Crap? So let's play this Obama clip. If you believe, as, as I do, that we should be able to reform the criminal justice system so that it's not biased and treats everybody fairly, I guess you can use a snappy slogan like, defund the police, but you know you've lost a big audience the minute you say it, which makes it a lot less likely that you're actually going to get the changes you want done. But if you instead say, let's reform the police department so that everybody's being treated fairly, you know, divert young people from getting into crime. And if there's a homeless guy, can maybe we send a mental health worker there instead of an armed unit that could end up resulting in a tragedy? Suddenly, a whole bunch of folks who might not otherwise listen to you are listening to you. So the key is deciding, do you want to actually get something done or do you want to feel good among the people you already agree with? And if you want to get something done in a democracy, in a country as big and diverse as ours, then you, you've got to be able to meet people where they are and play a, a game of addition and not subtraction. So a lot of people had a lot of commentary about about this and were pissed off that Obama called defund the police a snappy slogan. And I know some people probably heard that and said, oh, that's, I agree with him. But if you, let me try to summarize what people much smarter than me have said. First thing, it's not um, activist's job to make things palatable for the soft middle, right? Uh, People thought Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks were troublemakers and radicals. Also, defund the police is not a snappy slogan, it's an actual policy position. Also, as somebody pointed out, this guy, Saeed Jones, said, Anyone who would walk away from a conversation about police brutality because of a slogan was never all that invested in real change. We know this. Obama does too. Just as he knows, Sandra Bland, Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin all died while he was president. So, uh, you know, Barry, what in the crap? Defund the police. That's what I say. Sorry if I, I lost some people on the show. 
hearing me say that, but uh, police budgets are like in the billions. And it's not some kind of uh, abstract, people should be treated more fairly. Come on, guys. No. We need a major, major radical change. How come the, the, the right wing gets to be all radical and then the left wing has to, oh, well, it'd be really great if we could, uh, you know, maybe not have innocent black men killed? Is that a possibility? If, if not, that's fine, too. It's, it sucks. But you know what doesn't suck is the next segment of the show that I like to call Who Do You Want to Win? Who's Gonna Win? Who do you want to win, and who gonna win? So I was thinking that a kind of defining aspect of the Biden presidency, which I don't think has ever happened before, is gonna be trying to, as quickly as possible, invest Kamala Harris with the the VP. Kamala's the VP, if you didn't know with as much authority as possible because, you know, Biden's not going to run again and it's going to be a heavy lift to convince people that Kamala's ready in four years that they can vote, finally vote for a woman that she's not phony like a lot of people, myself included started to feel during her campaign How are they going to do that? How are they going to make her seem legit? So that's just something I want to put out on the table. And let's let's watch that as as the years progress, because usually, as we know, the vice president's ceremonial role, unless you're Dick Cheney. But, you know, Dick Cheney was pulling the strings behind the scenes. He he was never going to run for president. Right. Mike Pence was a joke. Biden was pretty much a, a, a joke in a lot of ways. The, the VP is kind of a... There's a show about it, Veep. It's a, a pretty impotent position, but I would guess that that's going to have to kind of shift. And it'll be pretty, pretty interesting to watch. And if you want Kamala to win, and if she's going to win, it's going to take some maneuvering. And maybe that's why... Biden announced an, an all-female communications team, maybe trying to normalize the idea of women telling you what's what. So that's political checkup, and that about does it for the show. If you're listening to this on your computer, please consider downloading the app for your Android. Not your Android. Why do I always say that? Yeah, no, your Android. What am I talking about? your Android or your iPhone. We really do need your support. If you enjoy this programming, consider going to donate a couple bucks, radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. Every cent helps keep this show on the air. And while you're there, why not check out the newsletter? Go to click on the newsletter tab or go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash newsletter to get filled in on what's going on on the station each and every month. Once a month, we write you. We don't flood your inbox. And our show is brought to you by cityrunningtours.com slash New York City. Go there to figure out how to combine some some learning with your run. Learn about the history of like 28 different neighborhoods 
Thank you to City Running Tours. And let's close out with some Beatles. Heard this song on the George Harrison documentary and just remembered how much I love it and I love her. Then the kind of first big George, or first best George song, If I Needed Someone. It's good. It's got that bird's, like, uh, electric 12-string sound. Next week, we got the holiday spectacular, Dr. Dad, Pastor Jay. Is that his name? I gotta ask him. Reverend Jay? Deacon Jay? Jay Clarkson? Talking about Jesus. Kent Corrin from the show that precedes mine. Mother's of Connection, talking about his year and his kid and his relationship to Judaism. Have a great week. I'm going to figure out the next act of this radio program. Until then, take care. Peace. I give her all my love. That's all I do. And if you saw my love, you'd love her too. I love her She gives me everything And tenderly The kiss my lover brings She brings to me And I love her I love like us never die as long as I have you near me bright are the stars that shine dark is the sky I know this love of mine will never die and I love her stars that shine dark is the sky I know this love of mine will never die and I love
Support for Race to the Bottom comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, the Hewing Marion Kaufman Foundation, the Melville Charitable Trust, the Moby Dick Charitable Trust, the Charitable Trust for people who have read Moby Dick, the Charitable Trust for people who say they have read Moby Dick, the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the Carnegie Corporation of Alabama, the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, the Alfred E. Newman Foundation, the Mad Magazine Foundation, the Cracked Magazine Foundation, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, the Easy E Foundation, the Geraldine R. Dodge Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the Chevy Foundation, the Bob Seeger Foundation, the Boz Skaggs Foundation, the My Uncle Said My Music Sounds Like Boz Skaggs Foundation, the Who Is Boz Skaggs Foundation, the Joyce Foundation, the Noise Foundation, the People Who Say Nice Like Noise Foundation, Joan Croc, the That's a Croc Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Stanley Foundation, the Angela Foundation, the Oscar Foundation, the Creed Foundation, the Phyllis Foundation, AARP, Alaska Airlines, American Society of Clinical Oncology, American Society of Non-Clinical Oncology, American Society of Partially Clinical Oncology, Charles Schwab, the ConocoPhillips Company, the Wilson Phillips Company, First Look Studios Home Entertainment, Blockbuster Video, Miramax Films, the National Association of Professional Organizers, the National Association of Semi-Professional Disruptors, the American Speech, Language, and Hearing Association, the American SDFU Association, Anheuser-Busch Companies, Dow Chemical Company, T. Rowe Price, Corn Rowe Price, General Motors Corporation, Specific Motors Corporation, National Association of Realtors, Johnson Controls, and the Carey Group.